Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network, and today I'm really excited because I get to interview a good friend of mine, Dr. Greg Burton, so I appreciate you being here with us today. We're going to talk today about the subject of prison. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 1 through 3, continue to remember those that are in prison. And so when we think about this, you're a guy who's got a lot of hours in prison ministry, and I see your post, I've talked to you about it. Help us understand the importance of prison ministry, what it looks like to do prison ministry well, and kind of let's just start out with why should we as church people in the church even care about those who are incarcerated? I mean, some people have told me those people are just boozers and losers, right? So why don't you pick up with there, and then we'll just kind of have this conversation. Sure, Travis. It's wonderful to be here with you. And and this is a subject that's near and dear to my heart, so it's not a difficult thing to consider. Uh, Why should we consider those in prison? Well, Jesus, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, when he's telling the story of sheep and goats, uh, mentions there's six things in the kingdom that followers of his need to do. Six things. And one of those is visit those in prison. So, you know, if you want to boil it down to why are we here, what should we be doing? That's one of the six. Now, doesn't mean that every church nor every Christian has to be doing that, but collectively, we've got to be passionate about reaching those in prison. I guess, too, when I'm there, I realize that there may be nowhere else in our community where there's less hope than there is in prison. Because for whatever they've done wrong, whatever sins they've committed that have caused them to be incarcerated, they know, one, they're not going to get a job when they get out. Because when they fill out an application, it's going to say, have you ever been convicted of a felony? Bingo, you're out. Mm. They know that marriage probably is not going to survive this. Mm. If it's drug-related and they've stolen from family or been dishonest, they may have lost the support of their parents. Mm. And in many churches, because of just judgmental or whatever, they know that they may not be welcome. And even if they were welcome, whether they're really welcome or not, they are convinced they're not welcome. And I don't know how you affect that very well. So when I see these guys in in, in my chapel, uh, we're kind of set aside for 16 men at a time, just men only, for obvious reasons. Um, These 16 men, when they come in, wow, what an honor that I'm the one that gets to share the gospel of hope and life with the most hopeless people I know. Yeah, so you go in, when you meet with a lot of these guys, tell me what it's like. I did some of this in Louisville. I had a case where I, it's, it is different. Prison ministry is not like any other kind of ministry. I think we can both agree with that. Yes. I mean, if we could make a spectrum of like ministering to church people, the opposite end would be ministering to those that are incarcerated. Yes. You know what I mean? It is oh, like yes. the complete opposite world. And, you know, up is down, down is up, you know, over there. And so, you know, you go in and you have to go through all these doors and you're hearing them walk behind you. Yes. Lock. And lock. I mean, you. And I remember once I did a baptism, and I'm sure you've done this before. I think I was 15 doors deep, and I was thinking the whole time, "What if there's a fire? 
will I survive this? I mean, do thoughts like that go through your head when you're in there? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, it, it probably gives me an appreciation of my freedom more than ever when I realize every lot that hits behind me, it's like, this is deep, man. These folks are deep into incarceration. And thank God it's the opposite. And when I come out, I'm set free. Well, it was it was eye opening for me. I mean, it, it it's it's hard to describe whenever that door locks behind you. And I, you know, we're just there for a, we're visitors. We're not there like for an extended period. It, your heart kind of sinks a little bit oh. when the door clicks, doesn't it? Yes, it's still does. After after you know, I go once a month, every month, uh, third Monday's my night, and yeah, it does. And so you realize when they hear the door click. Mm. There's no, there's no escape. And of course, you know, a lot of times we're using the metaphor of being imprisoned by your sin, right? As, as gospel. And nobody's going to understand that illustration better than those incarcerated. So tell me, uh, you know, I, I went through my first experience. And I don't know if yours is like this, but the person I was seeing had some real heinous crimes in the paper that they had done. It was a murder, a uh, double murder of a nine year old girl and mother. And I was expecting Hannibal Lecter when I went in, you know, and that's not what I found. Uh, would you say that's fairly common that you don't see these? I mean, they look tough, a lot of them. They're going to have tattoos. And like I said, remember the spectrum. This is not ch- polished Baptist church people sitting in the pew. They're going to have a what looks like an uh, exterior pretty tough. But I found a guy that was very broken. I think a lot of people are broken. And now, the where I go in the jail there in Sullivan County, there are a few people there for severe crimes, but probably the majority that's accessible to me are uh, drug-related, uh, somewhat violent-related, a lot of non-payment for child support. Mm-hmm. So you have some white-collar kind of guys that are there. They're humiliated, and justifiably so, and uh, but the common denominator is nobody there is disputing what it is to be a sinner what it is to need a savior. That's a common denominator. And so I don't do church there. I don't try to go in and have a couple of hymns and a little bit of prayer time here and then preach a nice three-point sermon with a poem at the end, you know. I just go in and we may sing a song or two, a familiar song, but then we just jump right in uh, to a gospel lesson or message. Not always a pretty sermon was designed for that, but it's designed for the heart. And and I talk with the guys and I try to be real to them. And in the end, most of them say they just want me to be real with them. Yeah. Now a lot of a lot of guys I talk to uh, will talk about jailhouse religion. Oh yeah, people that get and of course you know my question I guess is as you're doing jail ministry, can we even discern the jailhouse religion from those who are actually Christ is working in their life? I mean I guess it's kind of like the church, right? Yes, it, you know I hear that from some people and I kind of see the when I describe jail ministry I see this look in their eye like is it real? You know, mm-hmm. but when you're in there. It's, it's a choice to come to chapel, okay? I, I make it very clear. There is no advantage to your sentence to respond to me in any way. I'm not, I can't help you. I can't testify. So this is just us and God. So they know right off the bat that those are the circumstances. Um, one of the things that I've learned is I, I try to apply 
salvation, what God can do for you through some of the circumstances you're in. That is, if you're feeling away from your family, if you're feeling broken, if um, uh, you're not sure there's a future for you, then I address how the gospel gives you a future. And, and I make it very pertinent to, to their situation. And I think that gets their attention. Sometimes it's a little emotional for me when I talk about brokenness of family, brokenness with your children, when they start to tear up because I've hit a heart strength. And it's hard for me. I don't do it intentionally, but I let it be what it is because God convicts in lots of ways. I have learned through my training orientation that most inmates do not want to be set aside, set apart from the others. They don't want to stand out. They want to blend in. Everybody tries to blend in. I think it's a lot like boot camp in the army. You don't want the sergeant to remember your name. You just want to blend in. Does so the tallest nail gets hammered down. Right? They do, and and there are bullies in the jail more than people realize. So if you stand out, a bully may make you the next Billy Graham as a joke, you know, and harass you. So, but when I share the gospel and I give them an opportunity to respond and I don't do like a flippant sinner's prayer, I I don't make it easy on purpose because I'm not trying to get decisions. I'm trying to offer hope in the gospel. So when, when they make a confession to Christ, I ask them to stand. Just, I need you to stand. Don't need you to raise your hand. Don't need you to sign a little card. I want you to stand up and say, I am now a follower of Christ. I think that separates probably the best way I can separate them that way. And every time I just I just break down almost when I see these broken men stand up unashamed. It's just awesome. Well, and you're you're asking them to take a risk in doing that. I am. Because I mean that's not there's like you said, there's multiple ways that's not gonna end well for them. There's not a lot of gain. I mean the the old they have the ultimate gain, but as far as being incarcerated. Yeah, there's, there's no gain for them other than, I will say this, I'm hearing more and more in the cell blocks. There's multiple cell blocks, you know, within the, the annex of the jail where I serve. And when these men identify themselves as believers, they will naturally form prayer groups that like in the evening, they'll get off to the corner of the cell block. They'll share prayer requests. Maybe want to read from the Bible. And they do this on their own, no prompting. And uh, that really inspires me that God's doing something genuine. Right. Now, you're not just, I don't know if I made this clear at the beginning, you're not just doing prison ministry like as a parachurch. You are a pastor of a local church in the Tri-Cities. And so you're coming at this with a pastor's heart to see these people. Let me ask you this. So as a pastor... um, what are some of the issues that, let's say somebody's been incarcerated, gets out, I'm sure you've seen this happen. Are you finding that they're able to make a transition into your church, or are they finding that difficult? I encourage them to get out and transition to their former church. Okay. And I'll tell them, I'll say, look, Christians, real Christians, they want to see the gospel at work. Mm-hmm. And if they've seen your sin, they're going to be thrilled to see your salvation. Right. So go back. They know you. They grew up with you. But if you feel you can't, and I will tell them the name of my church, and they're welcome to come to my church because we have several 
people who have been in jail and in prison, and we've welcomed and loved them and cared for them. And I said, I can't promise that there's not a knothead somewhere that's going to say something, but by and large, not. You're welcome here. So it's very important being a church. can't express that enough. Example of this. We have a gentleman that uh, had a domestic issue, you know, mixed responsibility. I'll just leave that there. And uh, due to a parole issue, he was in state pen for four years, which is a long time. But he got saved in jail. He already had a faith background, but he got saved. I mean, really saved. And, and a wonderful guy, cellmate of his, that helped him grow in grace and so when he got out, a team of men in my Bible study class took him under his wing through work. And this guy's the real deal. I mean, he's the real deal. And so we did an Ash Wednesday kind of celebration at our church. And um, when I started to put the cross of ashes on people's faces, it was his turn. And I, I was looking down and getting a little bit of ash on my thumb. And I looked up and he was just grinning at me. And as I got ready to put the cross on his head, he looked at me and he said, you know where I was last year. He said, this year is such a celebration. And he said, I'm ready, Pastor. Wow. So, you know, and I baptized him before. And, and so God does a work. Not everybody recycles. There are people that follow Christ. Yeah. All right. So let's ask, let me ask you about that relationship. Did you do something? Let's talk to the pastors. Or maybe sure. Our pastors are listening or church leaders. And what are some things a church can do well in preparing? Because some churches may be listening thinking, gosh, I really like to be involved. I don't know what I need to do personally or what we need to do as a church to kind of get ready for a ministry like that. What's some advice you would give for a church that's in that season where they're trying to prepare for a ministry like this? I think for uh, the church that's wanting to prepare to receive people who have been incarcerated, probably involves some training of some key leaders or just kind of pick some really gracious people that grace just exudes from their being and just do orientation with them. Maybe have a person who has been incarcerated and set free now and let them come and share with them their story, how things work. Uh, I think the hardest thing for us is to honestly humble ourselves enough that we cease judging because judging isn't really saying that somebody's life fell short of the scripture. Judging is somebody's life fell short of where we think we keep the scriptures. Mm. And that's not a good thing. So to, to add to that, I think this short story probably will explain a lot. I've been invited to do jail ministry with a man in my church. Okay. He'd done it for 30 years. Mm. And he kept asking me very sweetly, would you like to come? Would you like to come? And my only jail ministry experience from the past has been, as you mentioned, scandalous crimes of murder, you know, two or three murder cases in my early ministry, you know. Mm-hmm. And so while well, I was okay with going, I didn't jump on it. Finally, I agreed. I just felt like I needed to go with him, and I loved it. I clicked with the guys, and, and he and we all just made a great team and had good response. And I thought, I think I'm good at this. I think this is where I'm supposed to be. God's brought me into this. So this was totally different in your first experience. Oh, this is this is like just getting stoned to death with popcorn compared to what I'd been with, you know. uh, But 
but they still needed grace. You know, yeah. hello, I mean, still needed grace. So I've been doing this for a while. And then one day in my quiet time in my office, I don't know, I just prayed to God and said, Lord, what should I work on in my life? You know, my evangelism, should I, should I be a more faithful prayer steward? And a voice like audible spoke to me and said, well, you're kind of judgmental. Let's work on that. And my eyes got big. I, I kind of looked around like, who said that? And I said, I'm maybe the least judgmental pastor I know. And the Lord, yeah, like I didn't just prove the point right there. And so the voice again. And, and, Have you know, met me? Have I met exactly. You? No, no, no. And it, it upset me so much. I just stopped praying about it. I was like, okay, we're done. And uh, a week later, within the next week, my school teacher wife said, honey, would you run to Walmart for me? I need some school supplies uh, for tomorrow. I forgot to get them earlier, please. It was after 10 o'clock, like 10, 15. Well, Travis, you know who shows up at Walmart about 10, 30, or 11? I'm going to guess people that don't normally attend your 11 o'clock service. Probably not, and people that don't want to be seen during the day. So I pull in, I walk in, and instantly I run into these three different folks, I mean, right in my face, that just were so radically different from anything I'm used to. My eyes just got big, and I actually thought to myself, I think I've come on circus night to to Walmart. And the third one was a, a lady that had a little girl here it is almost 11 o'clock, a three-year-old in a buggy checking out. And I thought, you're like the worst mother on earth. You know, to tell you, and she said, eat me tea. So I'm looking at her groceries to see if she's bought the right stuff, you know. And I'm like hanging myself. And after I check out, I go out and I get in my car. And the voice is back. And the voice says, so, Mr. Pastor, who never judges others, which of those three did you mention how much I love them? Mm. Which of those three did you invite to come worship with your church? And the voice said, which of those three did you love like I love you? And I wept. I still weep. And I wept. And I wept. But what a moment of grace. Oh, oh, huge grace. So, so, it was time to go to the jail a week later. And when the men filed in, all 16, they looked so different to me. And I shared my story with them. And when I described the tattoos and the gauges of the people, their eyes were big because they shared that. And I smiled and I said, I am here today because God knows that you all need grace applied as much as anybody in Sullivan County. And when I showed up, I was not the right one for you. But God has made sure that tonight you have a better man than I'd ever been in the past. So I'm humbled and honored to share with you Jesus. And that has changed my life. Mm, mm, mm. About to beats here. You know, I got a theory, Greg. Here it is. I think for church people, you, you're, we have one of two categories that church people fit in. You ready for this? We are either one Pharisees 
who are sitting in judgment constantly over others and making ourselves feel better, or we're recovering Pharisees. I don't think there's another category. Wow. You know. Touche. Powerful point. Yes. Yes. And uh, I don't think you'll be able to do this ministry if you're in the first year. Oh, no. You're, no. you're just, your heart is just not at a point that you can handle that, you know. So, uh, and what was really interesting is typically out of 16 men, um, I will have six to 10 make a commitment to Christ. And, and I'm very careful. I'm meticulous. I can't judge to know whether they are or not, but that seems to be pretty accurate. But that night that I shared that story, first time every man came to Christ. I think God uses brokenness and humility. And I think God resists the proud. It's pretty clear in Scripture. Yeah. Now, I know you, you believe in education and training. You've got your doctorate in ministry. But you don't have to have a doctorate in ministry to do this. Oh, You no. don't even need a master's of divinity. You, don't, you need a heart for these. Yes. You need a heart full of grace, don't you, and mercy. You just need a certificate. You just need a certificate of grace. That's what you need. That I've experienced it. And I now want to give it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, love is the key. Just love people. Most of these men have no clue what love is. Mm-hmm. When they hear it described and receive it, they are overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, uh, this is all good. So for the pastor who is listening to this, has been moved by this, you know, I think this is something the Holy Spirit's been dealing with me about. Give that pastor some advice on what he should do to maybe get started in prison ministry. Okay. I, I think uh, first you go right to the source, uh, talk with a, a jail chaplain or someone who serves as a volunteer chaplain in jail. Just sit and have conversation and express what's on your heart, your willingness to be part of the, the overall answer to Go and administer grace to people that are in need and, and encourage and love and an ability maybe to receive people afterwards. Once you think that, you may be invited to go and observe and be a part of that, which would be wonderful. Uh, there's orientation that almost all public jails have for volunteers so that you're aware of pitfalls and risks and dangers. And not real physical danger, but that you might violate you know, some of the rules and regulations. And uh, once you get the basics, I think you jump in. I think it's really like swimming. You can learn some of the strokes, but until you start swimming, and once you start ministering grace to people and loving them, uh, you will not find anything quite as satisfying ever as when you go into the jail and you obey the words of Jesus, visit those in prison. There you go. All right. Well, I think that's pretty good. Are there any questions that you wished I would have asked you today about this ministry that I did not? No. I, uh, you know, there's a whole nother world of uh, receiving people when they get out, of um, guiding, mentoring, trying to keep them from being that 80% that recycles. Right. Uh, ministries in communities that have ministries that mentor before they get out. And then supplement that after they get out, find that they flip that recidivism rate that it's now 80% don't recycle. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, the more we can do that, the better. But that's another story for another day. 
Now, that might be a whole other episode. Who knows? I want you to come back in the fall as we get closer to election time because we were having a great conversation about politics before. Oh, yeah. And uh, the, the minister's relationship with politics or something like that. But that's for another episode. Okay. Well, let's move into what I'm calling the twinkling of an eye round. All right. So this is going to be just for, for fun here. So I'm going to ask you about three or four questions here. Just answer quickly. Try not to think too much about it. But um, who are some preachers who have been of great influence in your life? You know, I I know it's going to be kind of redundant from other people, but uh, from an early age, I was overwhelmed with Billy Graham. Mm-hmm. Just the simplicity, the focus, the passion, and I, I collect Billy Graham memorabilia. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And he's just a standard bearer, very human. Uh, you know, he he admitted there were things that we should have done differently along the way. Very human, but. Nobody questioned what Billy Graham stood for. That's right. Um, any other preachers come to mind? Well, you know, I was exposed to uh, people when I was in seminary mm-hmm. both times, and uh, I've had the chance to meet some great men of God. I, I think one one person who impresses me today, probably the greatest influence on me today, not a Baptist, but it's Jim Cimbala from Brooklyn Tabernacle, mm-hmm. and, uh, because he preaches from the heart, mm-hmm. just from the heart, and he has such a wealth of biblical knowledge that just flows in that. There's something about that that appeals to me, and uh, he's just so real. I long for reality. Yeah, and that is a crucial component in preaching in an age of skepticism is authenticity. Clear. All right, favorite Bible verse or verses? Okay, uh, my life verse is uh, probably um, John three seventeen. Oh. God sent not his son into the world to condemn or pass final judgment on us, but that the world through him might be saved. I so need to remind myself of that. I live by that verse. And this next question is a very preacher to preacher question, but if you could preach in any pulpit in the world next week or in a month, what pulpit would that be? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to categorize this. I think I would want to preach in one of the the great pulpits in in Scotland, uh, in some of the great abbeys, the historical places of faith that now have almost crumbled spiritually, to be able to stand where great preachers like John Knox had stood before and preach, and be able to just by the grace of God have a word to add to that foundation that has crumbled to see it restored just the tiniest bit. I would feel like I was walking in the greatest footsteps ever. Amen. And for those of you that may not be familiar, Scotland has produced some of the finest preachers in the English-speaking world over the years. Uh, you know, and sadly, Scotland now teeters on being an unreached people group. Absolutely, it's, it's less than I think uh, three or two percent are actually evangelical Christians. Right. Uh, we're looking at a partnership with the church in Abbeymore, Scotland. And so uh, you can be praying for the church at Abbeymore there. So we'll we'll maybe put it in the show notes there. Some for the other. Wonderful. All right. Well, this concludes our interview today. Thank you so much for your time, brother. Huh. And, uh, if you're okay, I'd like to have you back. I'd okay? love to come back. My right. pleasure. Thank you, brother. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash 
Appalachian-Baptist-Network. Join us again next Monday.